0: How in the world would you trust a machine shop that you've never even done business with ever to make quality parts for a spaceship that's bringing up astronauts
1: and human life? Well, that's where the retention comes in. They trust you because your website invokes the credibility and the reliability and everything that you want it to relay as a message. But if you ship that first order really late or there's quality issues, then there goes the trust. Maybe they just
2: heard you're good on the bridge part. Maybe.
1: (laughs) It could be. It could be. They saw the video that he was just shooting and they were like, man, that guy. Great on camera. He knows how to turn a crank. (laughs) Guys, am I going to see you at IMTS? Nick, it's not just for the guys. It's
2: not. No, there's a lot of women manufacturing leaders that are going to be at IMTS. We know a lot of them. And women make manufacturing move. That's right, Jim. And in fact, IMTS has their special women make manufacturing move events at IMTS. So they're going to have exhibits, they're going to have luncheons so that women can mingle with their peers, they can make connections. I mean, they're really putting an emphasis on attracting and retaining women in the manufacturing industry. And I think that that's really exciting. That sounds awesome. So where do we sign up? So go to imts.com, register, and then look for the special events like Women Make Manufacturing Move.
0: Let's go. Hey manufacturing leaders. It's Jim Carr here. We're at the making chips headquarters in Rockford, Illinois. I'm recording with these two guys. One guy's name is Jason and one guy's name is Nick. Hey guys. Hey Jason. They're drunk
1: by the way. We were at the boring bar, but I don't know that we're drunk. We haven't been (laughs) breathalyzed. (laughs) <laughs> I left to do a quick video shoot. I came back
0: and they're like, we "We're hanging out at the board bar." Arr! So anyway, anyway, <laughs> Nick made I, us Manhattan's, and the old guy is being the smart, intelligent guy that's going to get us through. A and his up.
1: glass of Chardonnay is empty, and he just didn't tell you that. Yeah, so like two yeah. ounces, thank
2: you. Anyway, <laughs> always trying to paint himself in a good light, and that's, you know, it's yeah. all about good PR, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you missed it though. So
0: guys, as you know. Cars business has changed dramatically in the last three to five years. You know, Mm -hmm. we're now an uh, AS9100 aerospace machine shop, and we've got all these darn processes to uphold nowadays. Material certifications, all this inspection, documentation, gone are the days where my dad would say, hey, Jimmy. Pull some stock off the stock rack, throw it in the horizontal saw, and cut six pieces uh, five inches long, then throw in the bridge port and put a two-quarter 20 holes in a half-inch reamed hole. Come on, stock. Jimmy.
3: Yeah, do it. Yeah.
2: The funny thing is, Jim, is that you know how to run the bridge port, but you don't know how to run the five-axis machine. <laughs> 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 that, that kind of is funny, but you're yeah. right, I don't. When you talk about it, though, it is interesting because if you go back to how Car Machine was back in the day, Zenger's back in the day was very different, too. Your dad would come to Zengers and be like, Hey, I need some taps and I need some end mills and pick it right out of yeah. He'd be track. like, yeah. Hey,
1: Stevie. <laughs> hey, Stevie, go <laughs> hey ahead and give hey me that Stevie, end mill. I mil. need
2: a new toolbox. I'm buying I got a new machine as <laughs> I'm your hiring. Boy doing? Oh, and when's some, he gonna start working? Yeah, but now like our business has changed too. So it's now all vending and integration. And so if you don't change, you die. I know, and we've done many episodes on that before. Yep. But it's funny because here's what I'm
0: struggling with nowadays, and this is what we're going to talk about. So as the customer base is changing- Or the industry. Well, the industry's changing, but- Or the demand. We've made a concerted effort to make a paradigm shift in the type of, in what our company looks like and the kind of customers that we satisfy. Gone are the days with the the non-fussy customers that we could just pull a piece of stock off the rack and throw it into Bridgeport and drill and tap some holes in it. Now we're doing aerospace parts that goes on rocket ships. What would you call
2: that imprecise work?
0: In our shop, we call it down and dirty type work. Yeah, But here's the thing. We can't put a down and dirty job in our shop because we still are mandated by AS9100 to do all of the inspection criteria. Exactly. Which, Which makes yeah. it
1: more kind of expensive and complex for you. That's what we're going yeah, to Yeah, transactionally it's more
2: expensive. Right. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yep. No. I've gone through the same pains that you're different, but similar pains. So yep. I know what you're talking about.
0: So the, the shift has really been hard. It's disseminating the right cost for the right customer. And in traction, and you guys, I know you've all read traction. You were the ones that turned me onto it, yep, it. EOS yep. traction. They talk about right person in the right seat. But lately, my leadership team at Car is switching it up, and we're talking about right customer, right seat. So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. You know what we
1: talked about in the last one? What's that? While you were busy being a Hollywood movie star, yes, getting shot on well, film.
0: Right person, right seat.
1: And I think it's relevant to this. We talked about how there's one resource that everyone has the same amount of. What's that? Time. Everyone has the
0: same amount. Same and what time. you're saying is you can't serve every customer. Right. Well,
1: you have a certain amount of uh, machine utilization. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And your machines can either be working on some down and dirty, not profitable work, or they could be working on the right kind of work. And the problem is if you accidentally or because yeah we've always helped this customer and you fill your machine with the wrong kind of work mm-hmm. now you've taken up some of that time and the time is sure. the one thing you can't get yeah. back
2: so to. jim we we actually so you call it right customer right seat we have a term for this as well at zengers we call it our ideal customer yeah and one of our initiatives are we have let's just say x number of ideal customers right now we want to have 2x ideal customers in, say, three years, and we feel that that's going to 5X our company, let's say. Sure. But I think we're talking about the same concept here. We totally are. So before we get to that, I just want to put,
0: I have the definition. I'm like, I love definitions. So Gina Wickman, who is the author of Traction and Get a Grip on Your Business.
1: Which uh, is the whole EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Those two books kind of explain that,
0: right? Exactly. And it says kind of the definition. The right people in the right seat in EOS means people who share your core values and your ability to delegate as a leader is simply the ability to place the right people in the right
2: seats throughout your organization. Now, just think about that. And we'll get back to that in a minute. And just for some clarification purposes, the whole notion of right people in the right seat, that was actually coined originally by Jim Collins. And he talked about getting the right people on the bus. That's a good degree.
0: Good degree. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So before we get to that, you know, we have this little
1: section and we have
0: manufacturing news.
1: Tell me something good that's going on. Give me some good news, guys. Well, I'm going to attend and be the best man in my brother's Oh, that's
0: so awesome.
1: That's Alex. Yeah, yeah. He's getting married at the same resort that I got married in, in the Dominican Republic. And I just can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for him. So the second best part is that my brother's getting married to a really nice girl that we all really like. The best part is that my wife suggested that we bring a nanny. Oh, so that's that so cool. We Nick. can like bring our kids and also, you know, well, get you can away a little bit. go out to bit. dinner and have a couple drinks. And yeah, those that's a great it, right? idea. We got two different hotel rooms. So, you know, all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know what I say to that? <laughs> Bam. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, that's a great idea.
1: <laughs> that gets my blood pumping. Right?
2: I bet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and they were cool with you bringing the nanny along?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had to work through some of that, but it's all great. Yeah.
2: Good. Good to hear. (laughs) All right, Jason, give me some good news. Well, I guess I'll go along that same notion that Nick just talked about. So it's my wife and I's 11-year anniversary. Oh, my God. I hope I'm getting that correct. I hope you are, too. Anyway, we were talking about going on an away trip. We got married over Memorial Day weekend, and so it makes it kind of tough to plan a vacation for your anniversary because things are double the price. Mm-hmm. So we were just forget it. And talking about another manufacturing leader, a mutual friend of ours, Patricia Miller, instead of going out of town, we're going to her favorite restaurant in Chicago that she recommended for our anniversary. And we're going to plan a trip for later on in June so we can get away.
0: Well, what's for the restaurant? Longer.
2: You didn't say it. I don't remember the name offhand. Sorry.
0: I have a recommendation for you too. For a
2: vacation? For
1: the five-day. Okay. So for everyone who's wondering, just stay wondering because Jason can't even remember where Yeah, he's just going.
2: email me, info at com and I'll give you some Chicago recommendations. Or take recommendations. up 10 minutes on
1: his calendar.
2: Yeah. There you <laughs> go. About. Bingo. Yeah, listen to the last episode. What were you going to suggest, Jim?
0: I'd rather do it off
2: mic. Okay.
0: Yeah. I have a location in a hotel.
2: Amanda and I are people who we like to be active on our vacation, yeah. so hiking in the mountains, stuff like that.
1: This, this has got mountains. This yeah. will do it for you. All right, you. cool. Okay. But it's so secret we can't share it on the podcast. I don't want people to judge. Can you give me a hint?
0: <laughs> no. No. It's in the United States. Anyway, and my good news is I'm going to a black tie wedding this weekend in downtown Chicago. Nice. We're going to spend
2: the night. We're
0: at that age. I have a
2: tuxedo. Do you need to borrow mine? Nope. I have my have tuxedo okay.
0: that I got when I joined the TMA. Do you need help you tie your bow tie? Nope. I, got, I just bought a pre-tied bow
2: tie to just... Thank God it just came yesterday. lose. Yeah, so. Can't even so tie kind of another tie. funny manufacturing story. So, like Brian Panic, <laughs> another even... manufacturing leader, actually tied my bow tie. Me too. It sucks. Over
1: a decade ago. And I, I, I still, still keep it tied so I can just button it up afterwards. <laughs> so, I went to a private Catholic school and we had to wear ties. to a Catholic school? A private Catholic high school and we had to wear ties every day. Yeah. I think I tied a tie like twice. I just kept it tied and, like, yeah. loosened it and tightened it. Oh, that I can I do. do. I, know how, how, oh, no,
2: I know how to tie a tie. Tying yeah. a bow tie a bow tie is a whole other
1: story. story. Yeah. It's tough. I don't think we were allowed to wear bow ties, but if yeah. we were, I would have been the guy who did it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, so that's what I'm doing. I'm super excited. Get these kids married. Get those babies on their way, right? Oh, boy. Yeah, here we go. Careful what you wish for. You yes. another baby, Jim. Yes. <laughs> so, manufacturing news.
1: Like uh, Moses or Abraham or something like that?
0: I don't have manufacturing <laughs> do news, not but compare, Jim. <laughs> What's that? Abraham. He said he, <laughs> he was
1: suggesting that you have another baby.
0: Oh, I have to tell you this. So it's been hot this week in Chicago.
1: It was hotter. Okay. So my brother went early to his destination wedding. So yeah. he's already in the Dominican. Uh-huh. And it's hotter in Chicago than <laughs> it, it is, is in it the Dominican, Dominican Republic. I was like, you took a weird time to leave, man. But anyway, go ahead. We
0: communicate internally at Car with G Chat, and we have like separate groups and spaces and all, all those things. So one of my employees went out to lunch and he came back in and he sends a chat through to everybody. He goes, thank Jesus and thank Jim Carr for the air conditioning in the shop. (laughs) I was going to comment. I mean, I'm not Jesus-like at all, but I did give him a thumbs up. Hey, that's That's
1: appropriate. Yeah,
2: I don't want to be compared
0: to Jesus. you got to give thanks to the
2: small thing. Yes, anyway. I'm trying to keep my mouth shut. Yes, please do.
0: (laughs) So anyway, we're not going to talk about manufacturing news, but we're going to talk about news that's related to business and to everyone out there. and this. Is just fresh. It was posted 20 minutes ago on CNBC. Dow falls for the sixth straight days after a wild session. I think this is relevant to talk about right now because.
2: Well, everybody cares about the stock market. Everyone cares about this. Everyone cares about their 401k, right? Yeah.
0: And what I want people to do is not panic. I've been through this before in 08. It was terrible. A very good friend of mine, I know he was worried to death. He came to my office. We sat down, and he was like freaking out that his 401k had dropped like 30 or 40%, and I'm like, dude, relax. If you look at the history over time, it will always correct, and it will probably always correct even to a point where it's above positive of where it was at the high. But what this is telling me is that our economy is unstable, and when there's instability in the economy, what happens, and it's my... Obsession. It's the not obsession. Here yeah. it comes again. Well, I just you know, no, I think, it's I down think quite a bit. Right. It's like at thirty-one thousand, and it was up near thirty-nine thousand. I think for a while, it's been up and down. It's exactly what this article says. It's been a wild ride. Well,
2: the, the Fed wants to control things and slow things down because they're raising interest rates because they feel that things are growing. Well, look at too gas fast. prices. I know you don't right. use gas, but we do, and.
0: Inflation is out of control. Actually, oh, yeah. did, they said it dipped down. Last month it was 7.8%. And this month it was 7.1%. So it did dip down a little bit over the previous month. And they do say that they project that it is going to start coming down incrementally every month. They think that it hit its peak already last month. I would imagine. So they think that, well, the Fed's just raised the prime interest rate, mm-hmm. what, a half a percent yeah. a couple of weeks ago? Thank God I locked in my SBA loan. I know. So anyway, it's just an Apple's down. A lot of the major players are having some really big issues. Amazon was having some problems.
1: Do you think it's a temporary decline or a long sustained What with the drudgery? With the Dow industrial? Well, just with the market.
0: I don't think it's gonna get better. I think it's going to be, and believe me. Full disclosure, I'm not a finance guy at all. I've just got a lot of wisdom. Do not use making
1: chips for finance. No, please
0: don't. No, we're not. But I will tell you that if it goes down, it's going to eventually come back up. And don't worry. Just don't even look. Unless the world ends.
2: Do not go and look at your account balance. Well, here's the thing. That's the problem. People are looking. You need to look at this from the standpoint of, okay, so we're in manufacturing. So we need to look at from the perspective of a manufacturing leader. And I think that this is a growth industry to be in. What is? Manufacturing. Oh, yes. And I believe that, especially with all of the supply chain issues that are going on, we need to come from the standpoint of there's an abundance of work out there. And we need to grow this industry, not look at it from the standpoint of, well, if the economy's not growing, I can't grow. That's not necessarily true you can grow despite the economy not growing and despite the country being in a recession. Yeah. And you need to be in the right industries. If you're only oil and gas or you're only aerospace or you're only automotive or you're only agriculture, you, then you might have some issues.
1: What we talked about in the last episode with the news about this uh, semiconductor bill. Right. right. That's 52 billion of subsidized yeah. investment in an industry where there's a lot of machining yeah. and there's a lot of opportunity for people who are in that particular market.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny because a lot of people when they hear making chips sometimes they don't correlate that to computer chips you know yeah, the metal sure. chips yeah. they think about me- uh, potato computer chips. chips no not potato no oh, computer yes. chips yeah semiconductors man. yeah absolutely absolutely so
0: hang tight don't look at your account 401k account balances it'll all be fine it may take a while before it rebounds uh, could be a year could be two but believe me long term is the best term So let's talk about right customer, right seat. So before I go on, you know, I like definitions. And yes, I do have a quote from here. As Jim Collins described in his book, Good to Great, the right people are those employees who share your company's core values and help to support a culture based on those values. The right seat means that an employee is operating within their area of greatest skill, and an important word, passion within an organization. So What I want to talk about today is finding that right customer because earlier we just talked about...
1: So you're kind of taking, instead of person, you're taking customer and putting... Yes, I'm trying to, and I want you
0: guys to help me sort this out and maybe we can have a conversation about how we disseminate who the right customer is for our businesses and how do we identify... I think the most important thing is how do you identify what customer is the best customer for you? And it's different for Jason, it's different for you, Nick, it's different for me. And totally. It's, it's different for a restaurant, it's different for a gym, whatever. But if we have resources to use to do this identification, then it should be a win-win. So I found an article called Gaining Traction, Five Steps to Customer Growth. And I'm just going to read them and maybe we can have a little conversation about this. The first one is Focus on Solving Problems. A successful business solves problems for its customers, so we all know what that means, right? Sure, sure. A customer is going to come to you, a prospect, when they have a pain. The pain is either delivery, they can't get the parts when they want it, or they can't get it, the quality sucks.
1: Or they don't know how to accomplish a particular solution. There's a bunch of different ways, and they don't know which one to choose. Right.
0: Or the price isn't. Appropriate sure. to what they want to pay. Right. So those are the three variables that we are always dealing with: delivery, quality, price. Not necessarily in that order. They get flipped sure. around all the time.
2: Sure. um Yeah, there used to be that whole adage of you know. Have two, yeah, 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 there you I go, Nick. That. Yeah, I, that, I know. I hate. I that. know.
1: Pick two out of the three. Yeah. And I,
2: I think that if you were to define who you're, as we call it, our ideal client, you can give them everything that they want.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. And they could be
2: raving fans. And that's what I think when we hone in on who that ideal client is and serve them well, we have that raving fan.
1: So I don't want to like sidetrack too much, but we no. just engaged an agency that we love working with. You're working with the same group. So I know you think that they're great too. And. They pitched us a couple different campaign options for something that we're doing in the future. And the one we chose was the one that was more about like why they're solving the problem and why they're connecting with us to solve the problem. The one we didn't choose was we're the kind of company that can handle anything and we're game for it. And right, you like, don't want to be everything. It's actually no, like
0: you don't want to be everything. You know, We
1: probably could do a lot more than a lot of other companies can because we got some pretty technical people here. But we really don't want to position ourselves as like we're game for whatever because there's a particular kind of work that we want and that's a good fit for us. And we've gotten ourselves into some trouble doing stuff that we're capable of doing, but we probably should have never got so into.
2: The problem that comes into play, though, is you're saying this now, and I would say the same thing, during a hot economy. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you've got open machine time, you've got open engineering time, and you can tackle that non-ideal client just as well as somebody else could, but you're saying no to it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you want to fill capacity.
0: Yeah, but you shouldn't be taking those clients because I believe that it detracts from your core center. Well, I what, agree, Jim. Your
1: core competencies. I, I
2: agree, but I'm just saying from a theoretical standpoint, no, that I, I makes a lot of sense. I get what you're saying too, Jason,
1: but there's this one resource, I keep saying it, that everyone has the same amount of. And if you fill your time now with less than ideal work, because you might need it during a recession, yep. you're less likely to have that kind of work that you do want during that same recession. Yeah,
2: yes. All I'm saying is, is it sometimes it's a balancing act. Totally. And I know for us, the way we've positioned this whole notion of what we call an ideal customer, we can talk about this, is sometimes you're going up an elevator and you're like, okay, at my tier five, that's my ideal customer. But I also deal with other customers that are not quote unquote ideal that are at the second floor or the third floor. Yes, I get that. But you certainly don't want to deal with the ones on the first floor. Right. Yeah.
0: Those are the ones that cost you And again, you money. your business is different from mine. Of course. Anyway, we could talk about that forever. But here's the second one, which I really like. Yeah. And honestly, I just read it quickly for the first time, but I love this. Focus on sales, not vanity metrics. Isn't sales a vanity metric? No. No, it's not. Let me read this and we'll comment on it because this is good. Well, because
1: are you saying profit's the only thing that matters? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. No, that's not what they're saying. No, I think that's what he was maybe saying.
2: No, 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 because I've termed this to my internal team that sales
1: is a vanity metric and that profitability is That's what I just said. Yeah. 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 Profit's what matters. That's what makes your business successful or not. So you could have a million dollars of business and you lost- 1.5 1.5 million. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which happens all the time. But yeah. I think their point is like for us, like, oh, look, it, we got all sorts of downloads and we got oh, all yeah. sorts of traffic on yes, our website. We got all sorts. Yes, yeah. that's
2: exactly what this is.
1: 100,000
2: hits on our website.
0: Yes, that's yeah. exactly
1: what they're talking about. Yeah, it's like, yeah, well, that's no one cares. They're and they're all from some country we can't sell to or something mm-hmm. like that. Have you ever caught
0: yourself just focusing on the number of website visitors you have? Or how many people download your free white paper? If so, you're probably distracted by vanity metrics. Vanity metrics are things that sound good on the surface, but don't provide any actionable insights into how your business is growing. The real problem is that vanity metrics don't provide meaningful data on customer traction. Sales do for instance, growing your email list is great, but how many of those subscribers are you converting to customers? This is the real data that you want to track. Perfectly said.
2: Yeah. So if you listen to shows like say Shark Tank, they talk a lot about conversions and retention and acquisition costs. And that kind of goes along this line of, okay, what are the real numbers here? And how much money did you make off of that?
1: I would caution like, okay, so this writer's like, okay, what's a vanity metric? And they write that in there. But those things all matter too. They do matter. Yeah, They're all leading indicators of what's likely to create sales. Exactly. And so I think like, oh, only care about sales. Well, it's like, well, what creates the sale? Some of that stuff is really impactful in what creates the sale. I think the key point the here- I think creates the sale is solving your customer's pain points. Right, but I think the key point here is don't let the vanity metric take over in terms of importance- and be prioritized ahead of the real metric, like booking a sale or profitability. Guys, you know how I know we have the best sponsors? Why is that, Nick? Well, we're looking at it right here.
2: Well, when you log on to messaging boards and Facebook groups and you see customer
1: testimonials like this... The proof is in the pudding. So let's just read a couple. This guy named James, pro shop changed my life, totally digital and paperless.
2: Well, here's the big transformation when people talk about their gray hair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like me was a complete game changer. Six months in there's life before Pro Shop and life after Pro Shop. I would have less gray hair if we tried this five years ago.
2: (laughs) So how do you retain that non-gray hair, that color in your hair, Nick? You go to ProShopERP.com.
0: The next one, get the word out about your business. In the beginning stages, you need to do everything you can to get the word out about your business. We all know that, right? Your potential customers don't know about your business. So if you don't already have an online presence, you'll need to work extra hard to find them, right? So getting the word out could include any of the following actionable items. Cold emailing potential customers. I hate that, but that's what they're telling me. Submitting H A R O requests to get free press. What are those, Nick? I honestly don't even know. What to that's... get free press, Harrow requests. I don't know what that is. If somebody knows, let us know. Info at makingchips.com. <laughs> Offering your product to potential customers for free in
2: exchange for feedback. That's interesting. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm not going to give away free machine you Yeah, you're, you're probably
2: reading an article from like a software company or something like that.
0: Okay. But there's some good information here. Reaching out to the influencers about potential partnerships.
1: That's something that actually does work very well in our industry. Yes, it does. As you're reaching out to people, you
0: should always be focused on how you can help them. I always ask them too, what is your pain? Why are you coming to us? What is the problem with your current vendor? Mm -hmm. You should always focus on providing value and making your offer relevant to that person. So a purchasing agent probably is going to want a better price or a better delivery. I don't think the purchasing agent cares too much about the machines in your shop floor or the quality of your parts.
1: They have different KPIs. They have different KPIs. I just want to make a point about yeah. this compared to the last point. So the last point they're like, don't worry about vanity metrics. You know, focus on sales. The yes. next point they make is, what about cold outreach or free press or influencer marketing? Well, like, okay, so. How do I know if my cold outreach emails are working? Or how do well, I know because you have to have metrics right Vanity metrics. but I thought you just said they were vanity metrics. I think well th- they're just that's saying, don't get lost co- in it. Thank you that's yes. where I caution you like don't say the only metric that matters is sales right Don't right. prioritize things in the wrong order and don't lose track. To your point, don't lose track of what actually moves the needle for your company. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, you have to measure multiple metrics. Yeah. I mean, we can get into this on a whole new episode. And if you're truly like, well, I only want to follow one metric. Well, you better have a big company where everybody is very focused on whatever their position is, which is very niched. Or you're only tracking
1: profitability. Yeah, we call it like a North Star metric. So if you're a president of a company, your North Star metric is probably something related to EBITDA or profitability. Right, right? profit. There you go. And then there's a bunch of metrics that some other function in your business has as their North Star metric. So for me, I'm head of sales and marketing and order bookings is a huge metric for me. Revenue received is a huge metric for me. But okay, what about our costs? Well, I don't worry about our costs. I'm not in operations and finance. Right. You don't have to quote
2: things out.
0: Not that I don't ever
1: worry about it, but you know what I mean. My North Star metric is not that. Mm -hmm. So anyway.
0: Two more. Improve your customer retention. Now this, I'm going to skip a paragraph here because it's kind of not related to manufacturing, but customer retention matters because it affects your ability to scale. If your customer retention rates are low, then customer acquisition costs will continue to rise as you grow your business. And if you are eventually... Going to bring on investors, they will certainly look for a high customer retention rates as well. Last one. That's a good that's one. That's a very good one. And I didn't
1: realize that. And that's something I, I think realize. we at Golden Rink can do a better job of. You know, same we, thing with Carnage. We solved the problem right in front of us. We're like, okay, great. I don't think I have a metric for how many of our customers come back and how frequently do they come back.
2: Right. Yeah. We need to work on that too. Yeah.
0: The thing is everyone's so disposable nowadays. I mean, I can't believe that People, we get quotes, John will prospect some people, we'll get people we've never done business with ever. We not laugh, but our minds are blown. They're sending us parts that are super critical. I mean, crazy tolerances, aerospace, material certs, all this inspection, finishing. They have no idea who we are, what we look like. All they know is that we have an AS9100 certification and we're near Chicago and this is what our website looks like. I mean, how in the world would you trust a machine shop that you've never even done business with ever to make quality parts for a spaceship that's bringing up astronauts and human life? Well, that's
1: where the retention comes in. And right. they trust you because your website invokes the credibility and the reliability and everything that you want it to relay as a message. But if you ship that first order really late or there's quality issues, then there goes the trust. Exactly. Maybe they just heard you're good on the bridge part. <laughs> Maybe. <I don't laughs> it could know. be. It could be. They saw the video that he was just shooting, and they were like, man, that guy. It did
0: great on camera. He knows how to turn a crank. <laughs> Last one, guys. Track your analytics. So we know vanity metrics, but... Analytics are something different, right? Going forward, it's important to continue tracking your analytics. By regularly tracking those numbers, you'll identify things that are negatively impacting your company's growth as you may be able to set positive trends you can capitalize on. For instance, you may notice that a certain subset of your audience is converting much higher than others, or you may notice that certain landing pages are converting well. The right analytics will help you find ways to improve customer conversions and grow your business. So that's funny because John and Ryan and I were talking the other day, we have to do a better job at looking at our customer base, finding out what quotes, if we do a hundred quotes in a month, first of all, how many of the quotes did we no quote? If, right. we, if we get a hundred inquiries in one month, how many did we no quote? And then the ones that we did quote, how many did you close? How many did we close? And what did we learn about that? Is there consistency in that? Is it always an aerospace customer or what?
1: Man, I literally started applauding today in a meeting. You've dealt with us on the workholding side. Yes. And we do a lot of concepting prior to getting an order. That's good. Where we'll lay That's stuff That's your value out. add. Yeah. But you know where there's no value to us is if we do all that concepting and we don't get an order.
0: Right. <laughs> you got to be careful about you that.
1: You got shops the size of car. You got shops the size of a thousand employees. And you're doing all sorts of concepting. And sometimes it's got really complicated requirements. And we now have a metric of, okay, how many dollars did we quote? How many dollars did we spend engineering time on to create that quote and concept? And then comparing that to how many dollars we actually booked. Yep. And we got to improve that metric. Yep. It's We give this away because it's like, if we put the concept in there, we'll get the order and we have to do that. But we really need to close a lot more of them than we concept, which yes. probably means we need to be a little bit more hesitant to put the time and energy into a concept if they're just fishing or if they're not that serious. Yep. And that's like on me and my sales guys to really not bring something to the table and not utilize our engineering capacity to get it done if it's like, uh, eh, we're not that serious because there's a cost to that.
2: Yeah, we deal with that same thing too, Nick. I mean, we'll tool up a job or we'll solve a problem and then we'll get that initial order. And then it's like, okay, well, we should be getting more orders. And it's basically somebody's kind of stolen our intellectual property and tried to farm that out. To,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, to, and that's uh, So cheaper. it's like, all right, with us, it's like, we'll send them a screenshot of a rough concept. Yeah, Uh, Like we're not going to give all the models of everything we did because they could just throw it out there to the lowest. Yeah. We've
2: kind of figured out some different ways to deal with that too, including yeah, like not giving away everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just giving away the general concepts. And in,
0: in our situation, we do DFM design for manufacturability, which is we bring in the engineer that's designing the new prototype part. He wants feedback from a machinist's, Point of view because these young skilled engineers out of college overtolerance everything. They don't understand a lot of the so
1: skilled. I mean
0: skilled, but they're just they don't have the experience, so they're overtolerancing a print. So I sit with like
1: why the, is it so expensive? It's like well you put, yeah because you know, put a like... plus or minus a half
0: thousand tolerance <laughs> right, on, a, exactly. on an overall length. It can be plus or minus twenty. <laughs> right,
1: right. It's a clearance hole or a weight reduction hole. Why is there like a two tenths tolerance? Lately, the latest thing I'm seeing lately is true
0: position call outs of 1,000th true position. I mean, back in the day, we didn't even know how to check that. Now we have to check it
1: with the CMM, but
0: we give them all that. I remember one of my guys,
1: this was a while ago, explained true position to me and they're like, well, we didn't really have a lot of that back then.
3: (laughs) There there wasn't (laughs) any true position back then.
0: So anyway, we all have our ways that we give away our own intellectual property and we have to really Decide on who is going to be a loyal customer after we give all that information away. A lot of people do not care. Mm -hmm. So, lastly, I want to just go into some things internally at CAR that we do that we filter our customers because eventually we're just trying to filter out all the prospects and identify who the right customer is for us. So, first thing that we do is we have our three uniques that we've Defined. These are unique to you. These are unique to not your customer, not a car. So when that person comes, we evaluate them on our three uniques and our core values. Do they align with our core values?
1: So you mean like they have to appreciate what's unique about car? That's what you're describing. Okay, gotcha. Our
0: people, our technology, and our communication. Those are our three uniques. Mm -hmm. If they don't value all three of those and we feel that they don't value all three of those, we cut them off right away. If a customer comes to us right away and they're talking price, if I hear the word "sick price six times in a conversation <laughs> with them for the first time, it's not going to be good because all their head is focused on is Yeah,
1: Yeah, that, that's how you waste time on something where exactly. whoever's going to make the biggest mistake is going to get the order and it's not going to be you, hopefully.
0: Yep. We also weight them on who is going to be the easiest to do business with. So, you know, at the beginning, if they're super demanding, I need that quote in 12 hours. I need the piece part machined in three weeks. We can't even get material in two. And you want me to machine a part and have it finished? They have to be realistic about things. And who has the work that we enjoy doing? There's a plethora of work out there. What work is the work that we're going to actually enjoy doing, the work that we're passionate about? If we get something that's going to be just
2: god-awful, it's just going to be a loser to begin with. I mean, we have some of those similar attributes that we look at from a customer. So a willingness to learn is one of our biggest attributes that we look to for clients. If they want to come to us and say, how do you help us solve our machining problems? That's our type of ideal client. Where they've essentially outsourced that expertise or that wisdom to us, their tooling supplier. They've not tried to internalize that and say, well, we know better than you as far as this goes. We're machinists. We can solve every problem. Well, that's not necessarily true. There's a lot of times where we're the experts. There's a lot of times where we can learn a thing or two also. But if there's a humility and an openness to learning, that becomes one of our ideal clients. We also need to make sure that the shop floor is aligned with the ownership. From our standpoint, One of the things that I always tell my account managers from a client perspective, we work for the owners of the company. We don't work for the people on the shop floor. To the extent that when they're working for the ownership of the company, when they're driving that same mission, then we're aligned with them. But we have to all be aligned with how do we drive profitability to the owners of the company. Sure, That's one of our table stakes. That's where it has to be an ideal customer. But we've been in a lot of situations where that's not necessarily the case. Union shops, that probably wouldn't be the case with a union shop. And then we, of course, have like a spend that somebody has to have on tooling in order to make it ideal for us. But that's our level five. Of course. If you've taken the elevator up to level five, that's where we're at, but we've also have That's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle. Or I should say level four, level five is something different, but there's other levels where we still do business with a lot of clients, hoping that we're going to bring them up to that level four. Gotcha. By the way, I solved my
0: drilling problem. The car the other day. You saw what our drilling problem. Oh, good. I want to tell you what the solution was off mic. Okay, because it's a little lengthy, but yeah, I know we were talking about that last week over dinner.
2: Yeah, it was getting a little heated. So that's the whole problem is that you shouldn't even have to get involved in those things. Well, they
0: needed somebody with wisdom, and I can't wait to tell you what the end result was. There's two more things I want to hit on. What work is most profitable as a contract manufacturer? Riches in the niches. I know when I look at a print, what is going to be profitable running through my shop? It's typically a part that's bigger than the palm of my hand. It's typically a quantity of at least 10 pieces. It's aluminum, I guess. It's got value-added services to it, like outside chem film processing, black
1: anodized masking, speed blast. Oh, so you want the outside services as part of the prop. Do you know why? Or even... No, I don't know why. Because it have helicoils, keen certs, springs. We always say, man, we got to send it out for heat treat. We got to send it out for anodizing. And that extends the lead time. It does. And then you lose some reliability because you got to rely on somebody else. That's the pain. Yeah. But that's where the prop is But I want to hear why you
0: love that. Well, it's not necessarily a love, but typically it increases the value of the part because you're putting in... So you're kind of reselling the service then. And we're marking it up, too. Sure, right, of course. We're always marking it up. So yeah. there's a little bit of markup on that. Of course, yeah. We have yeah. to,
1: but we have the
2: intelligence... You
1: probably intelligence. have the network
2: you've already developed you, yeah. in order to solve those problems.
1: Is your supply base, especially right now, are they always on time and everything? Or is no. It? Yeah, right. <laughs> Neither are ours. That's why that we're like, uh,
0: We had to fire a major vendor last week. Yeah. A major vendor. So... We're
1: having some... Troubles here and there, too, because that's just the world we're in right now. I know. It sucks. Yes. I
0: mean, we can't even get quotes for a week.
1: Now, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. A week? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to turn around quotes in 24 hours. If you find a foundry that can make castings and faster than freaking I do six know to eight of one. Weeks.
2: Maybe I can help you with
0: that.
1: Well,
2: and one of our clients is going to start their own foundry because of like those kind of problems. <laughs> oh, good luck with I that. I feel like
1: we've been on this mission to find more foundries to pour tombstones, and we've got a couple of good ones, but holy cow. Yeah. It just keeps, you know, how the world is right now. Yep. Hey, guys, you know Zometry,
0: one of our partners, is now selling materials, right? Stainless aluminum, copper, brass. Oh, yeah. Oh I just yeah. reached out to them the other day for a big aluminum job that we're going to be doing in our shop, and I found out that they will actually lock in the price that cost per pound for that material for up to 90 days, they'll ship you tiered releases over the time period that you want to. They'll inventory it for you at a locked price. Really? Wow. Yes.
2: I think they call that their flex
0: program. That is right, Jason. It's called their flex program. It's just another tool for our machine shops to stay ahead of an up and down market. So
2: where does a manufacturing leader go to get
0: access to the flex? Zometry.com forward slash supplies hyphen flex. Great. Last one is study the customer behaviors. So the more you engage with them, you can kind of figure them out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Lately, we've been hearing a lot of people that talk about, oh, we really want a great partnership with you. And John and I were talking about it the other day and he goes, you know what? If they say we want to be a great partner with you more than six times in a conversation, we kind of think they're full of it. Because they're just saying that to get you excited about. To lure you in. Get into my van, buddy. Yes, I got some candy. Exactly. So <laughs> I hope those tips help you guys. If you have any of your own, please share them with me. Jim at makingchips.com. I would love to learn from you as this is a peer-to-peer sharing platform.
1: And that's what we do. We do. We we actually learn a lot from our listeners. And a lot of the episodes that we record are derived from our listeners calling in or sending us thoughts. So please do that.
0: Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, if you're not making chips... You're not making making money. money. Bam.
3: Thanks for listening to the Making Chips Podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition so making chips was created to fill that void to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action your manufacturing challenges have a solution and many of them are at makingchips.com